welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. ChargeHub is the largest network-independent, community-driven EV charging app, helping over 1 million annual users find all public charging stations in the U.S. and Canada, check their availability, and pay for their charging with a single account. ChargeHub launched its interoperability hub, the Passport Hub, to support the EV industry to easily interconnect and enable large-scale roaming to drivers. Download the app today to improve your EV experience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm today's host, Joe Boris, and I'm here today with Zarko Meselgia. He is the CEO of Recyclico, and Recyclico is a company based out of Canada that is recycling EVs and lithium-ion batteries in order to create a true circular kind of economy based around these EV minerals so that we don't have to keep going into the earth and mining it and pulling these things out. The idea being that once the minerals are out to make a battery, they can stay out of the ground. We can continue to use them. They're not burned off like internal combustion vehicles. So Zarko, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Now, do me a favor, give us a little bit about your background, because I know a lot of CEOs have a business background. I'm sure you have a very sharp business mind as well, but you're really an engineer. Yeah, I, I finished engineering. I'm just, I mean, I've, been, I've done my MBA afterwards as well, but uh, I think I'm an engineer at heart, really. You know, I, I actually did mining engineering and worked in the mining industry for, for some time, but really when it at the end of the day, when it comes to recycling lithium-ion batteries as well, it's more of like an urban mining, right? A lot of the unit operations we'll use in our process is essentially things that would stem from mining or or how, how you would extract cobalt or nickel from a mine is a similar concept to how you would do it with a battery waste. But in the difference of battery waste, it's so much more concentrated and I mean, valuable when you, when you think about there's companies alone, just mining lithium here, we have battery waste that has lithium, but then it's nickel, cobalt, manganese as well, along with it. It's just, it's a, it's a real joy. No, I love it. You know, and you made the comment, you, you said this very quickly. You said it's more of an urban mining. And I think that's a really and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's a really crucial concept for a lot of people who are thinking about building EVs or who are thinking about the the economic impact or the carbon impact, the climate impact of transitioning to electric vehicles and lithium ion. You are getting a lot of your materials from batteries that are discarded, from things that are basically going into landfills or would otherwise go into landfills. And from that, you are able to pull materials that are comparable to you know virgin quality to raw materials yes we're making materials that are more comparable to actual battery like the end battery material that can go directly into into material like if you look at our product that we make that's essentially a battery ready product the precursor cathode active material lithium hydroxide and you were to make those same end products from virgin material then yes, you you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. We've we've shown that same kind of performance of of our material in an like in a battery, 
Uh, but to go back on part of your question there, where you know, I, I I know there's like the notion that a lot of batteries will end up in in, in landfill waste, and and yes, there is a chance that you know maybe the hearing aid battery or or just smaller electronic battery does end up in the in the bin and ends up in landfill waste. But I feel like there's like a lot of naysayers for electric vehicles that will will use that reasoning. Like we'll go in the landfill. Yes, and I just think when it comes to an electric vehicle battery, that's that's definitely be on its own hard enough to pick up and 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 dispose of without somebody coming stepping in and saying well you know i'll, I'll take that battery off of you yeah well that's um, a really good point like you know here in chicago we we, we kind of make a joke about it we call it the economy we call it the ecosystem of the alleys that if you have a tv or something you don't know what to do with you just leave it in the alley and someone will come through and take it and i can't imagine someone taking a 1200 pound battery out of a Nissan leaf and saying, I'm just going to throw this away. And they drag it into the back of the alley and it actually ends up in the landfill. Somebody wants that battery. Someone's going to take it. And I know that is completely not what you guys are doing, but I just have this like really great visual of, you know, somebody dragging the Tesla battery out behind the house and saying, ah, somebody will take that. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'd say, I'd say our, you know, our, our focus is more, you know, not not preventing the battery from going into a landfill, but but preventing the battery from, you know, showing the most efficient way to recycle that battery. Yes. Because even recycling that battery is going to have an impact if not done properly. Right. There's there's a lot of harmful chemicals that could be used. You know, waste that could be produced. You know, whether there's some smelting processes as well that aren't aren't as efficient. Right. So, if you have this one chance of recycling a battery you know, let's, let's do it the right way. And and that's what we want to show. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I I think another question would be how many batteries are out there, right? Because there's a tendency to believe, and this is true of all humans about all things that the system that we are used to, the system that we are born into is quote unquote, right. And normal. In other words, there's a whole lot of people who are quick to focus on the environmental downsides of generating EV batteries and building electric motors and rare earth motors and things like that, but they discount because they're used to it and they don't consider it. They discount the environmental impact of, you know, oil refining and oil production and fuel production, you know, so, so this idea of recycling is critical, but are there enough EVs out there? Are there enough batteries out there to make recycled batteries a a viable business? You know, so, so that's that's kind of a question that comes up quite a bit, actually, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of consumers of electric vehicles right now thinking, well, you know, recycling is going to be a good idea and it's, and it's good the companies are working on it, but we're not going to need it for the next decade or so, right? And, you know, we've been really saying since since we started, you know, developing and, and, and pan, pan the process. And so we started in 2016, but really since since then, we've been talking about production scrap. So first to answer your question, I mean, there is batteries out there, right? There's, there's mobile phone batteries, there's laptop batteries. The, the collection of those creates its own challenge and probably why we get that narrative of batteries are going to go into like a landfill. But when we start thinking about electric vehicles, the volume of that material versus, you know, how many iPhones you need to collect to make up the same amount of material that's like in a Tesla battery pack, you know, electric vehicles are going to make up quite a majority so obviously there's that focus of well that that's really when recycling is going to become viable 
it's thinking about before it's even in a consumer product. Thinking at the gigafactory level, there's the battery essentially needs to be perfect to to go into a consumer product, right? There's there's a lot of quality assurance that that goes through it, and and if not, we see issues like billion dollar recalls because batteries some of the batteries are faulty and everything needs to be recalled because it could be a potential fire hazard. So because of that quality, you know, that quality control, there's, there's a lot of batteries that just get scrapped before they even go into a consumer product. So before it's even in the electric vehicle, there can be, especially during ramp up of a lot of these new gigafactories, you see, there's a big learning curve there in perfecting that process whether it's making the components like the cathode, the coating on the cathode active material or the formation of the cell, the, the uh, filling of the electrolyte, right? All, all of these stages have failure points and that material gets scrapped, but that material still has all the valuable, all the valuables on it, right? The, the, the lithium, the nickel, manganese and cobalt. So that is the near-term opportunity. That's the low hanging fruit in where we can get supply of, uh, of these materials. And there is, Quite a bit of that, right? Every gigafactory you see being built and it's producing, I could, you know, be quite confident and say that they are producing production waste and, and that material can be recycled. You know, you mentioned a couple of things here. You use the word stage, and that's something that I have seen a couple of times that there's stage one recyclers, stage two recyclers. You know, some of these guys just seem like they're just shredding the batteries and not doing much recycling at all. Can you kind of explain? what that means, what those terms are for people who may not be familiar with them? Yeah, we, we see that we see that quite a bit, right? Where sort of pet peeve of mine, how how recycling is defined, right? You could be collecting batteries and be a recycler, right? Or once you collect batteries from end-of-life electric vehicles or from production scrap, yeah, there's a there's a physical component of that, right? Like physical shredding magnetic separation, density separation, right? It's just like break apart all of those materials. And that's what we more sort of refer to stage one, right? Some companies will call, some companies go off of like a hub and spoke model. That's what they call it, right? That would be like a spoke where there's like this physical shredding of the batteries to make, you essentially have a separation of materials, right? Like you'll separate out the plastics, you'll separate out the metals like aluminum and copper. And then what you get is this formation, like the really valuable part is this formation of black mass. And then that black mass is where you have your valuable material, the lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, you'll have graphite in there. But that's that's not the end product, right? So there's the stage one recycler that makes that black mass and technically the, they're recycling, you know, they're collecting the batteries, they're re yeah. recycling them down into black mass, but there's a big missing piece here, right? So the, from the consumer standpoint, they think that the, that, you know, they, they'll go hand in their uh, phone or their electric vehicles handled, but really it's being just shredded up into black mass. Mm -hmm. So what we're really missing in North America and throughout Europe, uh, you, you're starting to see some of it in Asia, is the capability of taking that black mass and actually make it into a valuable product. And that's, that's really where our focus is. And that's that, that part of taking black mass into a valuable product is stage two. That's called more of like high, mostly like hydrometallurgical processing. So it's like a wet chemical, uh, chemical leaching process. Okay. 
And hydrometallurgy is a very broad term, right? So I know there's a lot of companies that say they're developing a hydrometallurgical process, but when it comes to the, the, there is quite a, quite a few differences. And I mean, I can get more into our approach later, but it's very important to just going back to stage one and stage two, stage one, you know, shredding 10,000 10, tons of batteries is not the same thing as processing 10,000 tons of black mass. Because generally, once you shred that 10,000 tons of batteries, you maybe end up with 4,000 tons of black mass that then needs to be processed further, right? Because you know, you're, you're breaking down so many components and, and that, that, that chemical part is a right. big knowledge gap in the industry. Would it be fair to say that the biggest difference, like the, the ultimate secret sauce that you guys have is once you have that black mass, you have the technology and the means to separate that into its usable components and put that right back into the production cycle. Yes, exactly. So like I said, the black mass, like, yes, you can technically break down the battery into black mass and it has the lithium nickel and all that, but you need to actually make that into a high enough purity and usable product. So we take that black mass and we leach out the materials that we want, right? Um, those, those capital materials. And, and from there we go through impurity removal stages, right? So we're, we're, we're cleaning that up because you need to get to like that battery grade quality. And, and then instead of, I think how many companies will focus on it, they'll individually extract for example, nickel out of the black mass and manganese out of the black mass, cobalt. But we really kind of asked ourselves, and it's, I mean, I think quite common where you see companies like Tesla always asking themselves, like, you know, why are these things necessary? And that's why they're really the king of always simplifying processes and becoming more efficient. But we really asked ourselves, like, why would we extract these individual nickel, manganese, and cobalt? Because if you understand the battery supply chain, you actually have to recombine them together to make cathode material. So from right. our process, we looked at the, yeah. So from our process, we looked at the black mass and, and said, well, you know, why don't we directly synthesize the cathode material, right? So we'll, we'll separate our lithium from that, but really we make this mixture of nickel, manganese and cobalt directly. So avoiding all of these separation steps and then, with that material, which is called precursor cathode active material, all you have to do is just mix that with the lithium, and and you have your, and you and you have material that can be made into new battery components. Oh, that's brilliant, and and, and that's that's really really something that I think I have not heard anybody else even talk about that, and and I think that that's really what is so unique and exciting about what you guys are doing, and I know you've got a couple of joint ventures because everybody who hears about what you're doing immediately gets it. Like, why am I going to separate this into all of these different materials just to recombine them? And I know we were impressed by it, but we're not in this business. There are other companies that are in the business of manufacturing batteries. And I know you've got a couple of joint ventures going with some of them. Some of them you can talk about, obviously some of them that you can't, what can you share with us about who you're working with and who is putting your cathode product, your recycled product into, uh, into real use? Yeah, maybe maybe slight correction there. So we did. So since since 2016, you know, we have scaled. We have our demonstration plan. We're doing. You know, we've tested a lot of different black mass products from 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 companies that have um, sent us the black mass they've produced themselves, and they're really looking for a partner on you know what can we do for this next step. So 
we have our demonstration plant here in Vancouver for that. And, and obviously our business model is to partner with these different strategics in a joint venture model. So we do have multiple MOUs and, and the intent here to expand into multiple commercial joint ventures. Earlier this year in June, we did sign our first commercial joint venture, and that's with a company called Zenith Chemical. They're in Taiwan, and we're going to be building our first commercial plant over there in the um, in the Asia area, where you know there is already a lot of battery production, a lot of battery waste, and, and a good opportunity for us to integrate our first uh, first process there, or first commercial process. And I think with Zenith, it's it's a great it's a great fit because they're an existing specialty nickels uh, supplier to the battery industry, right? They make nickel sulfate. They do have uh, customers, cathode, uh, cathode customers, battery, battery manufacturers. And really through that time period of working with them, because if you think like this doesn't happen overnight, right? Like we signed an MOU with them early 2022. Throughout that time period, we sent multiple iterations of our product that would be shared with these potential customers and they made sales out of it. They validated the product. They're really happy with what they saw. And that really kind of kickstarted the negotiations into actually signing the first commercial joint venture. So obviously, you know, all of that testing and validation takes time. And this is what we've been doing for many years. You know, some of the relationships we have and some of these other JV prospects that we have are relationships we've had two, three plus years in the making where, you know, we're going through this technical due diligence, giving confidence to these companies and just, 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 uh, just growing from there in more bespoke commercial operations, right? So in the one here with Zenith is going to be a 2000 ton per year, right? But we've had, we've had discussions that 20,000 tons per year, 40,000, even 10,000, right? There's, that's that's how we're focused on actually expanding in the model, right? Instead of just going out there and building a 50,000 ton per year plant and trying to get all of the supply, we're being, we're being more strategic and nimble about this approach where you work with a partner, you understand kind of what that potential feedstock supply quantity is going to be like, and then you build a plant to that. You know, the worst case scenario is you you build a plant too big and you don't have enough supply. Well, now you're running a very low utilization. You're going to be burning money. It just from from just a business standpoint, it's 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 not a smart, smart way to go about it, right? So yeah. We're we're really building on all these prospects. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute a hundred dollars a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. Well, you know, and it, it, it's funny that you talk about how smart this is and how smart the build out is, you know, our mutual friend, uh, Sandy Monroe, he's been on the show five or six times with us. And, and we've done a lot of trade shows and other things with Sandy over the past. He was recently at your demonstration plant 
And he was raving about it all over YouTube. He called it brilliant. And he kept talking about how your approach to this is so smart and so lean. And he was so excited with it. Can you speak a little bit to the things that he seemed really fond of and some of the thinking and philosophy behind that and how it aligns with all of this research? Yeah, no, Sandy was great to have visit the the demonstration plant, right? I mean, at, at the same time, you know, he, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. So, no, he does not. You, know, you, <laughs> you, you, you gotta, you gotta impress him or, you know, it could have equally as much if he wasn't impressed, it could have been just as equally as bad, but uh, he, he, he was very impressed, right? Because I think what he recognized right away is that, you know, the thought we put into our expansion plans, you know, we're not just going out there and, with big dreams and raising lots of money and then trying to get there. He's already seen that, you know, we are doing these things. There's a lot of customization involved to, to our equipment because we're really building a one of a kind concept, you know, one of a kind plant as right. we scale up, right. He, you know, he sees that we're, we're operating, you know, we had day and night shifts running, you know, we had people kind of all over the place doing work right and and for somebody who visits a lot of plants he sometimes he can definitely tell when you know there's not much work going on and just a lot of money raised but nothing going on but over overall i mean it, it, it was it was such a great visit and i think his video has really got us a lot of attention uh right yes. where i think kind of um regular media outlets kind of just look at the surface of, of things, you know, they'll use the word recycling, but you know, like we talked about earlier in this conversation, recycling can mean so many things and then nobody right. really bothers to define it where going around with Sandy, we were able to just talk about all these details, you know, ask us questions about things. I think what and, most and actually, people, yeah, I was gonna say, I think what most people would have come away from that impressed with is the comparisons to Tesla. And you said it really well earlier that we looked at the existing process and the steps involved and said, why are we taking these unnecessary steps when we can make this jump from here to here? And I think with concepts like giga casting, with concepts like the supercharging network, with things even as simple as the super bottle, which is a part that is essentially seven parts on other OEMs. It's one part at Tesla to make it simpler and easier to put in. It reduces failure points and improves reliability down the road, right? It's harder to service, but you have to service fewer of them. And I think that you're asking questions of this process of the recycling part of the business of the industry in very much the same ways that Tesla is asking questions about the manufacturing side and the manufacturing processes that are allowing them to innovate and iterate in ways that legacy automakers, because they're stuck in their ways, haven't been able to consider. And I think that is the message that Sandy was putting out there. And I, I, I personally think it couldn't have gone better for you guys because it was that technical aspect. It was a means of introducing some pretty technical concepts to people who are, I am by no means an engineer. I know a lot of people like me who are interested in these things, but we're like popular mechanics level engineering understanding. We like to read about it, but we, you know, we like to pretend we understand the concepts, but we are not engineers. And to see that put out in a way that not only 
was comprehensive but understandable as well i think people should definitely go check that out within yeah, that actually, just to maybe even comment on that so of course you know i've been i've been reading that elon musk's new book as well and i just i mean the level of detail he's taken to question everything in all his businesses and spacex and tesla just from regulations to to uh technical things is huge and 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 i made that you know you look like the crazy person at first right you know trying to make these changes like well why are you doing this you know it's always been done like this i think we even see with from a technical side of even tesla how they're making cells right there's the uh they're trying to do the uh dry electrode coating right so they're trying to avoid the use of solvents similar actually in solvents and, and recycling there's a lot of hydrometallurgical processes they'll use you know solvent extraction that's that individual extraction of materials that leads to a lot of waste that leads to a lot of complex processing that's just not necessary and when we ask that question well why do we need to do that and just look directly to the mixed product it really really simplified things which 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 we've shown in like the life cycle assessments we've shown the yeah. reduction in co2 emissions but then even from a business concept right i think the way tesla or spacex is viewed you know how business has always been done and, and disrupted that it's the same way i think when we think about recycling batteries we're still thinking of it as like our plastic waste or our cardboard waste right give it to somebody else to take care of but when it comes to batteries it's so much more valuable and it's not this recycling service provider model anymore that we're approaching the reason we're going this strategic partnership approach is because when you when you're talking to an EV company or battery company and they're and and really the waste at the end of the day is in their control first right they're going to decide is that material going to are we going to sell this material off to some third party recycler and let them take care of it or do we want to handle all this material in house and create a vertically integrated you know closed loop and i think it's more the latter now where companies strategically are going to start focusing on collecting their waste material collecting their end of life material and recovering those valuable materials so they can reduce that reliance on mine mine mining right i think we're even seeing tests on a lot of other companies talking about getting into mining they want to have more control of the supply chain well this is recycling is a perfect way of doing that as well and i think what a lot of these companies are going to be looking for is not a recycling service provider but more a technology that they can bring in house I think that's absolutely right. You know, and, and our, we've talked about this in some of the different ways that this can affect industry and, and affect these things. And we've talked about how Tesla is looking at a different form of solvent in this, you know, is there a sense that by applying your process, which is patented, right? Nobody else can do this right now that, and you'll be able to generate enough of this, that your cathode material becomes kind of the industry standard where everybody is using this cathode material? Well, we're, we're making cathode material to the spec that they, the, like the precursor cathode material and the lithium hydroxide, we're making it to the spec that the company, that the companies need or, or what their required spec is from what they're getting right now from commercial suppliers of, of uh, from virgin materials, right? So we're, you know, we're, we're meeting, we're meeting that spec. And I think most importantly, it's just, it's just that that material can constantly kind of right. indefinitely loop loop through well, their supply chain without going anywhere. Yeah. Right. And not to cut you off, but you're meeting that spec in a way that's much more energy efficient and much more sustainable than constantly sourcing raw material. 
exactly right like we can't and like i mentioned we had the life cycle assessment done by um in bureau and they, they looked at our process they compared it to other recycling processes they compared it to other mining processes and was, obviously we showed this reduction in co2 emissions energy consumption water consumption like it's just it's you know even even if you you don't have exact numbers just thinking about the the supply chain in general right where okay if you're going to get lithium and it's mined in australia and then that's shipped to be refined and processed and you know you have all these conversion steps and you got you know maybe your cobalt's mined in congo your nickel in indonesia all that shipping and logistics alone and conversion and processing versus taking the battery waste directly on the factory floor, having an in-house recycling process, and and then just reintroducing that material to the spec that they need at, at the front end. Right. And and that's that is a very simplified way of, of, of doing things to just better economics, better environmental impact overall. You know, you're you're making a a lot of claims here, and and you know, obviously, a lot of these things are backed up. But you're you're proving these out through other third parties, not just your joint ventures, but there's there's other bodies, researchers going into this and kind of backing all this up. Yeah, like, like I mentioned, in Vero, right? They're a well-known name in the industry, especially when it's a life cycle assessment. We really wanted to go with them. You know, originally when we were getting our our life cycle assessment completed. And announce our results, you know, at the same time, um, happened to be the Tesla got their their uh, results announced and and uh, researched by Minviro as well. So it was a um, just overall positive look on 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 our numbers and to show the kind of legitimacy of those numbers, just just to see kind of you know the caliber of companies that they're also working with, right? Because where we showed our CO two uh, reduction emissions, our our, our potential in CO2 reduction is 62% less than other hydrometallurgical recycling processes, right? So it was really great to see those numbers and then, you know, see companies like Tesla also using them. Right. And I, I want to reiterate that because you're not seeing 62% less carbon emissions, 62% fewer carbon emissions than raw materials. You're 16, you're seeing 62% less than other recycling processes. So as, as clean and sustainable as recycling the way that we may conventionally think of it is your process is 60% better yet again. Yeah. Generally you think like, Oh, anything with the recycling stamped on it is green. What we're showing is that, you know, avoiding those solvent extraction steps, avoiding all that additional energy intensity and chemical consumption, you actually have even more reduction in um, in like an environmental impact. Right. Given our closed loop process, the regeneration of our process chemicals, right? There's a lot, a lot of steps. Right. That, and you're not shipping the tribute to that. Right. And you're not shipping the copper to one place, the nickel to another place, then it gets shipped somewhere else again to be recombined. You're doing it all in one place, as you said, in that closed loop. So in addition to everything else that you're doing that's sustainable, you're removing the need for all this transportation carbon and the infrastructure that supports that as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, alone, like the, the process itself is closed loop while there's recirculated and then having all of that material still at the same kind of battery gigafactory footprint is, um, is even an added bonus. No, no, no additional logistics. 
But this is why I love talking to you, Sarko, because you say things, you drop little nuggets into this that in and of themselves are 20 minute conversations. You just said the water is in a closed loop. What, what does that mean? So the water that you're using throughout this process, it's not going back out into the water table. It's not like the lithium in, uh, you know, in Chile where they put out these big fields of like lithium slush and then wait for it to bake off. And Lord knows where the water goes. You're actually containing that process as well and ensuring that the materials and everything stay within the facility, even to that level. Yeah, exactly. We, like, we, it's part of our core IP as well, right? Where we, in the recycling process, right? Obviously, it's a, it's a hydrometallurgical, you know, chemical leaching process. And compared to like competing methods of hydrometallurgy, we're using like solvent extraction, you're adding in these solvents. And then through that, you're going to have this wastewater byproduct that has those organics in it. And you're going to have to clean that up and it's going to be pretty nasty. With our process being all in the closed loop, really at the end of our process, when we're making lithium, we're also cycling processed water back. But it, in in doing that, we're also regenerating the process chemicals used in like the front stage or the middle stages of the process. So you're not constantly adding in new chemicals as well, saving overall costs, yeah. saving overall, you know, just general consumption. I didn't even think of that. Degree. You're using the same chemical. You're, recy- you're recycling the chemicals that you use to recycle the batteries. Yeah. I guess you can see <laughs> what you can say. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all, it's, um, it's know, a it's true all, closed loop. All tied in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I... and and that shows that shows in these reports, right? That's that's uh, it's it's important to get all of these validation steps, like when it comes to our patent process. But there's there's the core IP, but then there's also the the, the know how, right. right? Where when somebody asks me about hydrometallurgical recycling and oh, this company's doing this or this company's doing that, like we're we're fairly well, you know, we're we're very well aware of of you know what technologies are out there like our co-inventor wrote, wrote a book on hydrometallurgical recycling lithium-ion batteries right that's <laughs> it was published by crc press um, which is well known like if you're engineering background you've definitely had their kind of textbooks in, in your classes sure. but i mean it's not even a book it's more of a textbook to be honest with you but this is a full evaluation of what hydrometallurgical processes are out there what chemicals are used, what advantages and disadvantages that each one have. Um, so, so yeah, we, we can definitely see how we stack up as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it just seems like a, like a hyper efficient process. And I, I apologize. I laughed a minute ago, but you know, there's this expression, I, I don't hear it too much anymore, but I'm a little bit of an older guy. There's this expression of, you know, if somebody like, oh, does that guy know what he's doing when he's painting houses? Yeah. He wrote the book on painting houses. You guys literally wrote the book on the metallurgy for battery recycling and in a text that's being taught to other people that other people can learn how to do this. And it, it, it's it's not a sarcastic comment or a throwaway. You literally wrote the book. You've got a UPC code and IS and ISBN number. You can go buy the book and learn about how this is going on. And I, I just think that's, we should have led with that. That's the funniest part of this. Yeah, that's, thing. yeah, no, it's- Joey, Joey, Joey Jung is uh, one of the co-inventors of the process. And uh, yeah, he uh, uh, was constantly, I mean, probably hundreds of research papers and a lot of knowledge in the space that um, 
and put all of that together. So it's even a good reference for a lot of people. Within our own process, there's a little bit of a black box there and, and know how that, that we still keep to ourselves. Well, and that's that's what's going to give, you know, in addition to all of these hyper efficient processes and this knowledge and the secret sauce, you're going to have another huge competitive advantage because you have been working with this wide variety of, you know, to use your term feedstock, right? Because you're getting batteries from multiple sources through this kind of urban mining thing. And, and that's going to give you an advantage over understanding how to get the most out of this, the people who are using, let's say, you know, only LG throw, you know, cast off batteries from a Chevy bolt won't have because they'll never have been exposed to those variables. Right. Yeah. We've being in a hydrometallurgical focus, right. We've received a lot of samples of black mass from companies. So we've seen just the wide variety of quality. Yeah. You've seen it all. Yeah, we've seen different battery chemistries. We've seen, you know, different methods of being able to discharge and disassemble the batteries. So our process has really been built for like the worst of the worst. You know, the cleaner some of these black mass materials are, you know, the the more, you know, streamlined the processes as well. I mean, or just simpler processing steps are on, on our end as well. But we have that advantage in being able to see, you know, black mass is not, always going to be the same and the company making their own black mass sometimes kind of is, is going to have to deal with a lot of these a lot of these variables that they may not be used to but then it also kind of brings up the point of you know we're able to drop in kind of technology in multiple areas where you know there will be where there will be feedstock and with all this ip we've built right we've really built a, a solid ip moat that, that gives us this advantage of providing the most efficiency, you know, best margins to companies that want to integrate our technology. Whereas, you know, I think the other side of it, the other advantage in the industry is having supply. And many recyclers who are building these standalone plants aren't really going to have the supply of batteries. Or, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, one of the biggest risks in the industry in getting the supply of batteries. Like we talked about earlier, the ones with the supply are the EV companies, battery companies, right? And there's this there's this strategic outlook on you know keeping your own supply in house, you know, for, you know, recycling it with in house technology to to give you to give you that overall advantage. You know, when it comes to companies processing their their own material as well, right? It's, um, you know, what we've seen in, in testing all this black mass is that, you know, some of the best quality black mass we've gotten is actually from EV OEMs themselves, right? So it kind of gives this indication that there are the companies themselves who have these end of life cells are actually focusing on the collection and making the black mass where the big knowledge gap is for them is on the technology of taking that black mass into a usable product that they can use back on the front end, right? So when when you think about that and you see the companies are doing something like this, it's, it's even more strategic part on our end to be focused on the hydrometallurgy and, and being able to uh, have companies adopt our technology versus getting into the business of trying to collect end-of-life batteries trying to get into uh, trying to get into you know the production of black mass right because we already kind of seeing seeing this get done 
So you license and, the uh, process so that they can do this on their side rather than put everything in a container, ship it to you, ship it to someone else, maybe for processing for that stage one, then back to you, then get the material. And now they're paying multiple costs plus the cost of transportation. It's much more efficient from an energy perspective and a time perspective. And it also enables them to save money and maintain control of their product. I think that's brilliant. I, I, I did have a question for you, as you mentioned at the at kind of the start of that, you said we've seen a number of different chemistries and we're starting to see now a proliferation of different battery chemistries. Toyota is talking about a low cost LFP Ford as well. We've had recent announcements from Cummins Accelera to make batteries for over the road semis and Stellantis that are going to be more energy dense while weight so that they can make a lighter mass. Are you seeing a significant difference in terms of your process for how it works with these different battery chemistries, or is it minor tweaks and something that you can easily handle because you have so much experience with this different type of feedstock? Yeah, no, we, like we, we've really seen it all in the feedstock, right? Like if some of the very early on lithium ion batteries were LCO, so lithium cobalt oxides, essentially just lithium and cobalt, right? That, that is a, uh, uh, a very high value product given the lithium and cobalt content and, and something we process very early on. And then as you start branching off into LMO, lithium manganese oxide or NMC or NCA, we, we process these materials with quite similar processing, like very, very actually similar processing techniques and reagent consumption. And, and you know, nickel manganese, the NMCs and NCAs actually get more com more complex to make. Actually, maybe the, the, the scrap rates are are, are Quite higher than like an LCO would be, but you know we've we've tested these materials with you know obviously e equal success, and then as well we're seeing this growth in LFP right. A lot of OEMs transitioning to LFP for their you know nickel free, cobalt free process uh, for um, nickel free and, and cobalt free material, and something from like a value perspective from a recycler right. Obviously. You like the LCO, the NMC, NCA, because you have all those other metals. But we've also shown that we can do LFP. Granted, that's not, you know, we don't want those to be kind of in the same process. Like you can have different lines because that is essentially, you know, LFP be very different from anything nickel, manganese, and cobalt based. But we can process that material. We can recover the lithium as lithium carbon and or lithium hydroxide. So we are constantly adapting to to these changes but yeah i think even when you think back to the older chemistries like lco recyclers that were looking at the lco chemistry was very valuable right lithium and cobalt and they use very conventional techniques like we we're talking about that solvent extraction because really all you had to do is separate the cobalt now it's getting more complex we're getting nickel manganese and cobalt mixed together and they apply that same logic well, we'll just separately separate each individual material and I think the history of the LCOs kind of led to this thinking about individual the individual extraction of nickel, manganese, and cobalt, mm -hmm. and that that's become quite inefficient now because and and not as economical because now the NMC is taking lower cobalt content. You have more nickel content, but you're still going through all those same complex, even more complex processing steps. You're right. adding in additional lines to take out the individual ones. So I think. For some recycling processes, the change is actually getting quite complex. Ours, we've 
being in this you know demonstration plant phase and taking in so many samples we've we've really seen seen everything i think right. that's that's out there but when you go into a battery manufacturing plant when you go into you know the gigafactory scale they're manufacturing what they're manufacturing and you're going to put into place you know your process with a particular chemistry that matches what they're producing it's not going to be you know one size fits all you're really going to tailor this almost like a fancy bespoke suit to meet their specific needs yes exactly like you could take older generation and battery chemistries and you know leach that material in but now you have to like let's say an nmc a nickel manganese cobalt now they're shifting more to higher nickel before they were lower nickel well now all the material you leach in doesn't match up well we can make that adjustment directly in you can tweak the process to get the new material that's cool that's, you're almost yeah, like leveling so can, up their their older stuff and, and bringing it to the modern era. That's awesome. Yeah. So you can add in like more nickel or you can remove the manganese and cobalt. And to get that, to get that new, you know, NMC 811 precursor material, right? And so and we've we've shown this, you know, I think you know, almost almost two, three years ago as well, that we, we were taking in older NMC, upgrading it to the 811 as well, and 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 that material being to the spec that the potential partner be looking for. That's awesome stuff. Now, I, I, I want to respect the fact that we're coming to the end of our time commitment here. I know you're a super busy guy. For people who are listening to this, who are just like, I know we've just scratched the surface, which all the amazing stuff that you're doing. How can people say, I want to find out more. I want to find out more about what Zarco is doing, what, you know, uh, what Recyclico is doing and, and see how this stuff grows and, and follow, maybe even be a part of it. Where are they going to go to, to follow along? Yeah, you could go on our website, www.recyclego.com, right? We have all our different socials on Twitter or X now, uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You always, no, always mix up the Twitter. I know. I always say, it's like, well, do I still tweet on X? Did I X on Twitter? What, what am I doing here? Yeah. But, and I want so, to shout then, out uh, to your marketing guy, Tony Mitchell, who I, I've, I've been talking to now for several months. You guys are putting some great stuff out on LinkedIn as well. These like really snappy little 15 to 30 second video hits that after I watch them, I almost feel like I'm dangerous because I feel like I understood something that maybe I don't understand fully, but they're, they're done in such a way that, you know, it, it, it makes you feel smarter for having seen it. So if you're at all interested in this space or in learning more about battery recycling, uh, Recyclico's LinkedIn page is, is just a tremendous wealth of knowledge and you can see some of that stuff you know some of the uh the verification processes that they've gone through that shows how that their end product has been independently verified it works just as good as everything else and you'll see all of those little snackable bites so if you've got five minutes or ten minutes you're waiting to go into another zoom meeting go check that out and uh you know you'll learn something you'll be able to say something at the meeting and sound like the smart guy i think we're very transparent right like we we are actually a publicly traded company as well so Constantly have press releases coming out on, on the latest news, any any significant announcements from the company we share. So for those of you as all interested, right, we are traded on the Toronto Stock Venture Exchange. Uh, Do you have like under, a ticker for that? Our, yeah, our ticker is AMY. And then for, for those in the US under the OTCQB, it's um, AMYZF. And then we're also traded on uh, the... Frankfurt Stock Exchange under ID4. So you could you definitely find us there. And 
uh, yeah, you'll see all you'll see all the information. That's fantastic stuff. So uh, again, Zagar, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think this was great stuff. Uh, I, I, I just feel like I've been through a, a whirlwind of information here. And I think anybody listening is going to be really excited to follow along with you guys and see what happens to you in the next couple of years. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.